welcome to our podcast, COP26 and the Journey to Change, a podcast brought to you by Visit Scotland's business events team. COP26 is all about change, the vital and necessary change we need to make not just as individuals, but as communities, countries and continents, the global journey of change to address climate change and its impact. In this podcast, we will be discussing how the issues of change and sustainability affect the business events sector, and also how business events can help bring about the change that we need. We will be questioning what we can learn from COP26 and what our industry can do to change itself. And we'll be examining the COP26 programme themes, including energy, nature, youth and science, to find those crucial intersections where business events can make a difference and help achieve the outcomes of COP26 and the UN Sustainable Development Goals. At Visit Scotland, we believe that business events are more than just meetings. We believe business events can be catalysts for social and economic change. As Scotland welcomes COP26, we welcome you to our podcast. Stay tuned, follow for new updates and enjoy. Welcome everyone, the session's about to begin. Please take your seat and make yourself comfortable. Please ensure your tea and coffee is topped up and feel free to shut down your emails and enjoy the session. Today, we'll be discussing youth and public empowerment. To help us in our discussions, we are delighted to be joined by Campbell Arnott, Senior International Business Development Manager, Glasgow Convention Bureau, Glasgow Life, and Jessica McClure, CPD Operations Officer, Law Society of Scotland. And our guest host is Patrick Lamont. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Visit Scotland podcast. And the first session today, we're joined by Jessica, and we're going to be talking about youth and the future of business events. Jessica, great to have you here with us. Thanks so much for having me. As a young person who's just coming into business events, I thought it'd be interesting to start with the question, why? Why business events? What drew you towards this sector? And why did you want to forge your career in this direction? Yeah, well, I think the business events industry is really interesting because I think it's a lot bigger than than people expect. And I think, you know, people have had a really hard time defining it in the first place because it is so intricate and it really crosses into so many industries and so many different places. And that's what really intrigues me. I'm, I've always been a person who doesn't like being stuck in a routine and doesn't like always doing the same thing. And I think the business event industry offers quite a lot for that. There's so many different fields you can go into, so many different places you can work. And there's a lot of travel involved too. I mean, obviously now with the pandemic, it looks a little bit different than before, but I I think that's an exciting aspect too. How unique it is, is really what drew me in. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's there's so many different things. And I think a lot of people come up through hospitality and sales Mm -hmm. and come from that perspective. But you were a bit different because you actually studied some business events at Napier University in Edinburgh. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I studied international festival and event management, and we had a module um, on MICE events, so meetings, incentives, conferences, and exhibitions. Um, And I really enjoyed that class. And then I ended up doing a placement for ICA, so that's the International Conference and Convention Association in Amsterdam. And the reason I applied to that job is because I liked the module so much. Um, And then, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed it and was like, yeah, I think this is what I want to do. So I've kind of stuck to it since. That's fantastic. And Mm -hmm. to do an internship with ICA must have been pretty interesting as well in Amsterdam. Yeah, it was amazing. 
Yeah, what, what kind of things were you doing at that time? Well, I started right when the pandemic hit, so it was oh, really right. quite a tumultuous time. Um, so during that time, it was really um, kind of working with all of, of the members of the association and making sure, you know, how everyone's handling the situation. And I think that actually gave me a more intense view of the industry than I, I might have regularly had, because we were so focused on on checking in with everybody and kind of seeing how, how the industry could approach the pandemic that really made me see how all of the different aspects are related and how all the members relied on the different providers. And, you know, the industry has so many different sectors um, between, you know, the venues, between um, the organizations that market it, all of these things. It's just very, very intricate. And, you know, the way it impacts tourism and different countries and how much different countries rely on it, all of these things. So that was a lot to take in, um, but really fascinating for me as well. Brilliant. Brilliant. Sounds absolutely amazing. Looking to yourself as perhaps a representative of the next generation within business <laughs> events, no pressure. Bearing in mind that, you know, COP's ongoing at the moment and we're mm-hmm. thinking about sustainability and climate change and how not just business events industry, but all industries need to adapt to survive and to mm-hmm. progress and to make these changes. Coming into the industry, how do you see all this? How do you see business events evolving in maybe the next 10, 15, 20 even years? And how do you see us being more sustainable? It's a really interesting question. It's actually one that I was looking into for my dissertation for my bachelor's. It is interesting to see how the industry will develop. And I'm really curious to see um, how many of the predictions kind of with COVID are actually going to come true. Because obviously now more than ever, we're seeing that change, the shift to online. And a lot of people are saying, you know, the future is hybrid. I think I heard that a hundred times in the last year at work. I'm interested to see if it is. I do think that the online element in whatever form that people choose to maintain it is here to stay. And I think there are so many really great opportunities for that, um, be it, you know, improved accessibility on many different levels or um, just, you know, from the environmental standpoint. I think people often forget that there's a lot of travel and a lot of barriers to attending events as a result of them being in locations. And I think over time, one of the big kind of evolutions of the business event industry is it getting so involved with tourism and it's really become more of an experience than just the you know the the conference is part of it and what you or if it's a conference depending on the type of business event but Mm -hmm. um if you're going you're going for the content but nowadays there's also been you know much more of an experience to it and i think as that developed and as that became kind of more of a tourism product that sometimes also made it harder for people to attend just for the content so i think you know there's a way to weigh those two things and in you know weaved into all of that is also kind of the sustainability aspect you know obviously if your event is taking place in a really exclusive really cool location you know like that's Scotland. further away <laughs> yeah exactly you know that's that might be further miles for somebody else that's you know not the best if your entire conference team is traveling all the time and then also the way conferences or bigger business events have typically been run aren't always the most sustainable either and um, be that in how all the the food is sourced or how you know products are handed out or or what's used you know you have so many attendees or even the way hospitality is run. There's just so many elements to keep track of. And I'm really curious to see how people become more conscious of it and how it develops. Because people are becoming more conscious. And I think I'm quite optimistic about there being a more balanced future to the events industry on encompassing all of those things. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear there's optimism. (laughs) And speaking there about hybrid events, you know, obviously ICA this year is taking place in Cartagena in Mm -hmm. Colombia. And I'm not going to be able to travel to Colombia, but they're doing things like, obviously, there's digital mm-hmm. subscriptions to like a Congress here, but you can also have the regional hubs. Exactly. Closest one to us being in Paris. Mm-hmm. So there are there are different things kind of being looked at across the industry. 
And that's the creativity I was talking about. You know, I think so many countries and so many organizations are adapting new ways of of making these events work and making them more accessible or, or just being really creative. And I think that's just phenomenal because the more people kind of step out of the traditional and into something new, the more chances we have to develop and improve and see what works and what doesn't in the newer future. And there's so many benefits that people have discovered in this last year by kind of taking that step that we might never have if we hadn't kind of faced a bit of adversity. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, a really unique time. But we have been hearing a lot that people have been very keen to get back to face-to-face <laughs> meetings. People mm-hmm. are desperate to get away from the screens and back into a, a face-to-face setting. So pr- there's probably a balance, do you think? Absolutely. I, th- I think, you know, I don't think face-to-face will go away. People enjoy one another's company too much. And there's so many benefits of actually being in the same room. And I, and I think there's so many opportunities that come out of being in person that you just can't quite stimulate online. So yeah, there's opportunities on both sides, which is why I, I really hope to see a future in which there's a little bit of both. I know um, there's a lot of associations who've started um, doing some events online and then some in person so that they have a bit of a mix. And I think that's, personally, I think that's quite a good approach because then, you know, if you're not available or able um, to come in person, you still have, you know, you're not left out entirely, but you can still have the in-person events for the people who um, need it. So I think that's a bit of the best of both worlds, you know. Yeah, oh, I actually very much agree with you. I think it's exciting to see, like you mentioned a moment ago, the accessibility mm-hmm. and people coming from certain parts of the world struggle perhaps sometimes to get visas to come into Europe or into the mm-hmm. UK, or there's just a financial barrier, but there's still really important content that they could pick mm-hmm. up from the conference. Sadly, they might miss out on the face-to-face, mm-hmm. that, that spark, the social side of it, but there's still the opportunity to, also from the association's perspective, to yeah. widen the membership and widen the attendance. So yeah, it's quite exciting to see how that might go in the future. Yeah, really quickly, I think some oh. people also forget it's not just the attendees, it's also you know the speakers as well. Because sometimes um, when I was doing my research um, for my dissertation, I spoke to some um, specialists who, who gave all of these talks and they said, you know, it's really demanding having to travel all the time. You know, my family suffers from that and I suffer from that. And especially if you get older, or, um, you know, maybe you're just not physically able to do that kind of travel, then you start kind of excluding these people from presenting their research or sharing their knowledge. And that just means you still end up with a smaller group of people participating both on an attendee and as you were saying, but also as a presenter. Yeah, one really has to keep that in mind as well to to think that um, sometimes having the physical events can just limit the amount of input or the diversity of the input. And, you know, I think the more diverse all of these events, the better. So yeah, again, there's benefits to both. And, no, I think that's yeah. a really a really excellent point you've just made there because perhaps unintentionally, mm-hmm. you limit the attendance and you limit who can join in, as you've just said. And so you are unintentionally cutting people out of the conversation. And mm-hmm. I think perhaps, you know, your generation uh, is <laughs> far, more, far more aware of that and far more keen to those kinds of sensitivities than generations have gone past so Mm. in that you see the opportunity of digital to Mm. break down those unintended Mm. barriers but the same thing is if you only do it digitally sometimes older generations suffer and then you limit them so that's why you really need to to keep both yeah um so yeah it's i would never say that digital is is the uh you know inclusive option i I don't agree with that (laughs) fantastic well cop 26 is the biggest business event ever hosted in scotland Mm -hmm. And unlike other business events, it isn't just about the specialism of one sector. You know, if we think about an academic conference on a medical speciality, you know, mm. that can be very specific, like thoracic surgery or something like that. But COP literally affects all of us in very kind of profound ways. And the conversations we've heard so far, you know, action is needed. Following COP, 
what actions, and again, I'm putting this on you as a representative <laughs> of the next generation following COP, what actions do you think need to be seen at a kind of a city and a national level across Scotland to, you know, to take these learnings on board? Yeah, well, I think it's really exciting that COP is taking place here, first of all. Um, it's just phenomenal to see such a big event. It's such an important event. And as a young person, I'm really eager for this event just in general because I am worried about our future and um, about the environment. And it is something that I think is going to encompass my entire life um, and, you know, the decisions I make from here. And I, yeah, I do hope to see that there is a large impact from the event. I have no doubt that it will have an international impact. And then on a on a more local level, how I'd like to see it. Well, I'm I'm sure that there will be an increased kind of awareness and consciousness that that stems from this event like a legacy. So I do hope that that not only happens, but that it continues for a long time and that people are really um, motivated to to take action to really consider about um, the future of the world of, of this country. Then on a more specific business events is that kind of yeah what you were going for i do hope that we really think more strongly about how we can make um our industry more environmentally friendly and more sustainable because yeah and the last few years have turned out some really spectacular research into um, how sustainable the business event industry is and how to improve that and i'm hoping that this event kind of brings light to that and i know that they've been taking some large steps to making the event itself and the way it's produced and the way it's conducted more sustainable and more more conscious of sourcing locally things like that and i hope everybody kind of takes takes a look at that and tries to implement that themselves that was probably a bit unfair of me. That was a really huge question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As I was listening to your answer, what I was realizing to myself almost was that what COP is doing, it's, it's focusing this great big magnifying glass on so many different areas. Mm -hmm. And then within that, probably you'll find that individuals and groups find that they are impacted by one area and that's the kind of thing they'll drive forward, whether that's transport or sustainability mm -hmm. and food sourcing and or energy. We each have our part to play, but hopefully COP kind of brings us all together and kind of, you know, drives that change. Yeah, I've always been really impressed with kind of how forward thinking Scotland is. I think um, in all of the research I did, that really stood out to me. I did some research into Creative Scotland and a bunch of other um, areas kind of of the government. And I think this country is really, really investing into its future. And I hope to see that continue and improve. And I agree with what you said about kind of, I think everyone's really absorbed or can be absorbed in their own speciality or their own area, but really they're quite interconnected. So I think this is a good place to bring everyone together and to kind of find those solutions. And, you know, I think that's what most of these events are for in the end. They're for bringing people together to find a solution or multiple solutions. And, you know, we we have to find them. They, they have to exist. And um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of changes that can happen. And I think Scotland's already making great improvements. You know, we're improving like bike lanes and stuff. And I think um, recycling could be a bit better <laughs> from a, speaking from a, a German perspective. We're quite rigid on that. Um, so I think there's a lot of improvement <laughs> that can be, you know, made, um, but also many things we can discover by working together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think an event like COP26 allows us to to learn and that's what we always say mm -hmm, about business exactly. events. They allow us to learn from other countries. And I too would like to see us learn how to recycle like the Germans <laughs> recycle. Or, yeah. The trouble I get into for my aunts when I'm over visiting for not recycling properly is quite quite worrying. <laughs> we love to recycle, I can say that. And I think it's now time to head for a coffee break. Jessica, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Please make your way to the foyer, where tea and coffee will be waiting for you. We'll see you back here soon. Don't be late. We won't wait for you. 
Jessica, nice to get a break from the sessions and have a coffee. Absolutely. First thing I've got to ask you, tea or coffee? Ooh, it really depends. I don't think we need to pit them against each other. They're both lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Different occasions, you know, coffee in the morning, tea towards the evening. That's how I tend to roll, but I wouldn't say one is better than the other. That is a very balanced answer. (laughs) We've been keeping a bit of a a tally, and I think coffee so far has come out on top. That blows it all wide open. So, Jessica, still young in your career, can I ask you, what is the first thing you do when you start work in the morning? Ooh, when I'm in home office or in the office? Let's go for home office. Oh, and I'm in a home office. This is going to be such a cheese reply, but I do a workout. Um, honestly, I've, I found it, um, you know, it, it takes quite a toll on your body to sit in the same place all day. Um, and at the start of working at home, I really got quite stir crazy. So that's kind of what I've started doing, just getting up and doing a, a small workout in my living room on YouTube. <laughs> and you do that every morning? Um, I try to. I, I, I feel like saying every morning no one would believe me, and that's definitely not true. <laughs> um, but I, I try to most mornings, even if it's just for a few minutes to get stretching. So yeah, that and grab the coffee. Yeah, I think you're absolutely. You got to move the back and get oh yeah, it up before you find. I'm yourself. quite young, but my back's not. <laughs> <laughs> and Jessica, as somebody who's recently moved back to Scotland, what are you most looking forward to about being here? Ooh, I mean, other than just seeing friends and seeing sights, I'm really excited to go back up into the Highlands. I was once, and it's been so long since I've been again, and I'd really like to go um, see more of the country and get some food. Honestly, that's the two things I'm most excited for. Perfect. Well, good luck with the hill walking and enjoy the food when you get there. (laughs) Thank you. I think it's time to head back into our second session. Cheers. The next session is about to begin. Please make your way back to the auditorium. Welcome back, everyone, and a big welcome to Campbell, who is joining me for today's second session. Did you take a tea or a coffee in the break, Campbell? What's your preference? I had a lovely flat white in my coffee break. Lovely. Very well made by the barista. Perfect. A couple of sugars? Just the one sugar. Just yeah. the one. All right. Lovely. And uh, what kind of a coffee break conference score are you typically, Campbell? Are you busy networking when break comes along or do you kind of find a quiet corner and keep to yourself? I think first and foremost, it's caffeine. You need to get the caffeine sorted and then see how it goes. But generally, yeah, you want to get the most out of the coffee break. So speaking to as many people as you can, getting to see people again after a long time and catching up with friends and colleagues. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. It's kind of about not so much talking about the session it's been, unless it was particularly interesting, but just kind of catching up with people and saying hello, isn't it? Yeah, usually asking where, where they got the nice pastries from. Yeah, where was that? We, where was that tray? That one passed me by, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so today at COP26, the theme is youth and public empowerment. And in this second session, I'm delighted to be joined by Campbell to focus on the public empowerment side of the theme and to find out a wee bit more about how Glasgow approaches this crucial subject. So Campbell, what does public empowerment mean to you? And how do you see business events being able to extend this to the local community when business events are hosted in Glasgow? Well, I would say that public empowerment is probably the single most important output from a conference. As we know, conferences get together and they create kind of world-changing opportunities from the science that they're discussing and the outcomes that come from that. From my point of view, the legacy they can leave within the community uh, to empower the public to better themselves, I think, as I say, it's the single most important thing that we do. Obviously, for many conferences, the outputs aren't obvious or understandable in lay terms, but for many of the medical meetings that happen in Glasgow, there is a very, very clear and obvious public message that can come out of that. And I think that's where the meetings industry in Glasgow and Scotland can really come on board to help amplify that message to the community uh, around the city. 
Yeah, that's really interesting how you say that because obviously a lot of the meetings that are going to take place, not just in Glasgow, but everywhere in the world, are obviously quite sector-specific and professional-specific. So it must be challenging sometimes to translate the conference outputs, like you say, into perhaps something that's digestible, but something that's relevant to a public who aren't often aware that these events are taking place right beneath their noses. I mean, exactly. There's so many different conferences that take place in a variety of subject matters. None are more important than the other, but, you know, the International Society for Lift Engineers, the work they do is vitally important to everyone's health and safety, but there is very little public health messaging from something like that and anything the public can take away about how that meeting relates to their day-to-day life. But if you take something like the European Conference on Obesity, European Association of Public Health, uh, World Down Syndrome Congress, they all have very, very clear and obvious public health messaging, which we look to try and take that message from the conference and bring it to the people to ultimately help them understand why the conference is so important uh, and also the benefits that they can get from such an event taking place in their back garden. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with what you say there. And you mentioned the World Air Down Syndrome Congress, and it's one that we like to talk about whenever we can because, and I'll let you explain more, but it was such a wonderful example of what a Congress can do when it comes to a city. And so this took place in Glasgow in 2018. And uh, yeah, can you just tell us a little bit more about the event and how Glasgow embraced the opportunity and what the kind of the legacy and the public empowerment that came out of it was? Yeah, I mean, like you say, it was a tremendous conference of the opportunity to work on. And for myself, I was really privileged to work on it for about five years from the kind of very early stages of uh, Down Syndrome Scotland investigating the opportunity to bid for it, right through to the actual you know delivery of the meeting and seeing the delegates in the city with huge smiles on their faces. And, and that was something which, yeah, it was a real privilege to be a part of. The, the person that we worked with at Down Syndrome Scotland had incredibly high ambitions for the conference. The very first meeting we had with her, she basically said that she wanted this to be the conference by which all other conferences are judged from a Down syndrome perspective. You know, at that point, we all kind of looked around the room and were like, right, okay, so the target's set fairly early on. And she basically said, if, if we can't make it that good, she had no no interest in doing it. So what I did was <laughs> wow. it really it elevated everyone's expectations, but also raised the standards by which the city, the venue, and all the partners involved kind of really had to come to the table and bring all their experience to the fore. Probably the most critical thing, I think, for Down syndrome, the thing that made it so different was that a lot of times with medical conferences, certainly going back maybe three or four years, it's it's probably more prevalent now, but back then the patient groups probably weren't really the, the focal point for the conference. It was very much doctors, clinicians, researchers, kind of working in isolation a little bit and they're kind of far removed from the the patients ultimately who are benefiting from the work that they're doing but with the down syndrome conference it really took people with down syndrome and it put them at the absolute forefront of the conference and then built everything else around them for the world down syndrome conference down syndrome scotland recruited uh, i think it was 21 what they called commissioners and hosts So they had people with Down syndrome actively involved in both the bid process and also the delivery of the meeting. And again, Down syndrome Scotland kept saying that, that this is is their conference. So they were helping people take their seat at keynote sessions. There was uh, some of the commissioners involved with the flag handover in Chennai in 2015 to formally announce Glasgow was hosting in 2018. So they were really front and centre 
And again, Down syndrome just got and kept saying that that this is this is their conference and it's about them. Whilst the the doctors, the carers, the health professionals, everyone else comes along are you know valued delegates. Ultimately, that conference is purely about the people with Down syndrome. There was about 110, 115 people with Down syndrome attended the entire conference. They made about 10% of delegates. But before the conference officially kicked off, they had a day which was purely for those people. And that was to talk about advocacy. It was to talk about employment. It was to talk about education. And during those sessions, there was, there was no parents involved. There was no carers involved. There was no associations, no charities. It was purely just the people who had Down syndrome in that room talking about the things, the challenges that they faced, which was, it was incredibly empowering for them because they were talking very, very freely about challenges facing them. And I think the outputs from that were incredible. But to put all that to one side, uh, I'm waffling on slightly, I do apologise. <laughs> the key topic for us came from implementing the People Make Glasgow Welcome campaign in collaboration with Down Syndrome Scotland. So what we recognised fairly early on was that having 110 people with Down syndrome in Glasgow was, you know, a real opportunity to, again, empower and engage with the community to make sure these people had as enjoyable and, and pleasant a time in the city as possible. Now, there's a fairly unique parts of the condition that the hospitality industry could address and try and reinforce and also to counteract some stereotypes that are sadly attached to a condition like Down syndrome. So what we did is they worked with three of the commissioners, which are appointed by Down Syndrome Scotland, to put on four workshops, which were open to the whole hospitality industry in Glasgow. And again, these commissioners hosted the workshops. They spoke to the hospitality industry and said, OK, this is what you can do to make other people with this condition feel welcome, feel at home and feel comfortable when they're in Glasgow. And it was real practical hints and tips. They had restaurateurs association involved. So, for example, one of the issues which, one of the challenges rather, that people with Down syndrome face is around chewing and swallowing foods. So what they said is, look, if you can make meals that are very simple to eat, you know, just with a spoon or with a fork, and they're not difficult to chew, then straight away, that makes things easy for them. So the Restaurants Association then went out to their members and said, look, we have this conference on for these dates in July 2018. Can you have a couple of items on that menu that change from your normal items to make it easier for people to then enjoy a nice meal in the city? What you said overall is you've got the empowerment of people with Down syndrome being brought into the conference from within Scotland and from abroad as well. But then you've also used their knowledge and their perspective, which might have not been done in previous editions, to make sure that Glasgow as a city was empowered, so to speak, to welcome them in as equal members of the of the delegation. And also, I suppose then you could say that legacy was going to exist in Glasgow, that anybody now coming to Glasgow with Down syndrome will be able to receive that warm welcome. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, those four training sessions, there was over 300 members of our hospitality industry who were who were trained and given advice on how, like I say, how to welcome people appropriately and accordingly for that. But I think for me, the, the greatest thing is that future impact. Do you know, they go to that session, the World Down Syndrome Congress happens, that information isn't lost. Yeah. Do you know? So the next time somebody is in that hotel on holiday with their family who happens to have Down syndrome, 
the people in that hotel are then they're ready and they naturally know what they can do to help make that person have as enjoyable a stay as possible. Absolutely. And I think again, the like you said, Patrick, the fact that the messaging comes from the citizens themselves who have that condition, do you know, there is no better way to hear feedback and advice rather than it being, do you know, one of the world's foremost experts in Down syndrome research talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know, because they will have a very different take on it. And I, I just love the idea of um Glasgow cabbies now being really informed on how to welcome people to Glasgow who have Down syndrome. And don't you have a quite a good story about uh, a cabbie picking somebody up at the airport? Yes, yes. We picked up one of the board members from the World Down Syndrome Society who came in uh, for the conference. And obviously, Glasgow cabbies are incredibly nosy individuals. They always want to know why you're here, where you're going and who you're going to see. <laughs> uh, so the, the individual had said, oh, they're here for the World Down Syndrome Congress. At that point, the cabbie was unable to talk in great depth and great knowledge about what he knew about the condition and what he was doing to help, like I say, tackle some of the stereotypes, make it easy for people to get around the city, all from the back of the training that was offered by Downtown of Scotland in partnership with ourselves. And again, that felt like that was something which was staged, but it absolutely wasn't. Do you know, it was just sheer luck, but it shows the real impact of it. And yeah, I think that the board member was pretty much blown away by the fact that that happened just by kind of serendipity. Yeah, well, it shows the work that's been put in on the ground and it shows the uptake, you know, amongst people like cab drivers to come and engage with that. And uh, I guess it also shows just what a strong conferencing city Glasgow is in that respect as well. But Campbell, looking at COP26, you know, the, the biggest business event ever hosted in Scotland, there's a huge amount of work going on to bring the conference out to the public, to engage and empower the public. And COP, after all, is, isn't just about the specialism of you know climate change as a sector. It's going to affect all of us. Is there anything Glasgow is doing over and above the general awareness to ensure that COP empowers the public? So I think probably one of the most important aspects from our point of view is making sure that we're aligning ourselves with the sustainability goals that COP is ultimately trying to achieve. You know, we can't have the world's global leaders in here talking about the importance of climate change if we are not acutely aware of what we are doing as a convention bureau to ultimately support sustainable goals. Glasgow is very fortunate in that it's ranked fourth on the Global Destination Sustainability Index. We were the only UK city on that certainly last year and we've just put in our application for, for this year's ranking. So we're looking forward to hopefully taking a step up and really challenging some of the most sustainable destinations in the world, which I think is really, really important because we're leading by example. There's no point having something like COP in our city if you don't lead by example and make a real effort to, to bring the rest of the community with you. One of the other things we've also started doing quite intensively is encouraging all the conferences that are coming into Glasgow in the coming years to align themselves with the UN sustainability goals. And that's very, very simple things when we have people in on site visits, which thankfully have restarted in the past couple of months. It's sitting down with them and going through the, the 17 UN SDGs and saying, right, what one of these can you ultimately link back to your conference? And the fact is that most conferences that come in Probably half of them, they're already doing, but they're not shouting about it. Uh, or they're not aware the UN SDGs even exist. So for us, it's about kind of advancing the conversation beyond just hotel bed nights and, you know, bums and seats and restaurants, which of course we know now more than ever are incredibly important. 
But over and above that, it's the bigger picture of what impact are you having on the world and the society as well that, that you're hosting the conference in. So for us, yeah, I think definitely using the UN SDGs to, to not just be a, a badge, but to actually practically deliver something that's going to make a difference and helping the conferences shout about the great work that they're doing because we know they're doing great things, but it's given them a platform to then tie it back to something which is marketable ultimately, like the UN SDGs. Yeah, and that in a way is empowerment itself. And I think it's interesting what you said there about sometimes the conference organisers themselves aren't fully aware or using the UN SDGs as full as they could, which kind of then made me think of UN SDG number 17, which is partnerships for the goals. And that calls for all kinds of organisations, not just governments. So funnily enough, like convention bureaus to be aware, to be engaged and helping deliver that. And then that ties back what you said right at the beginning about these conferences that we host in Scotland and Glasgow have this great public message of, you know, if it's about obesity or about Down syndrome, if it's about the lifting engineers, there's important information there. I think kind of to bring us to a bit of a conclusion, what I really love and I hope you'd agree is that COP is perhaps, as we said, it's the biggest business event and it's showing the impact that business events can have. It's bringing people together to focus on solutions that then take place, not just in the conference chamber, but they're listened to and they're explored and listened to outside. And that's something we can hope that more business events can do in the future, that greater empowerment piece. I mean, absolutely. COP is a great opportunity for us to allow the wider community to understand the true impact of conferences. Not every conference, well, fortunately, is the size of COP, uh, <laughs> but the, the outputs that they have are no less important. I think one other one I just wanted to touch on briefly was in 2019. I think it's a really good example we had around about practical outputs from conferences and that touching on the partnership for the goals that quite often there are organisations in Scotland who are doing incredible work in public health, be it smoking cessation, CPR training, first aid training, anything like that. But what we did in 2019 was to pull some of the healthcare conferences we had and align them with these events that are already taking place. So we'd called the campaign People Make Glasgow Healthier. One of the key drivers for it was the International Forum for Safety and Quality in Healthcare. And when they were in, they held a health week in Glasgow. So that was the things I just mentioned. It was smoking cessation, it was organ donation, and it was CPR training. Across those three events, there was almost 600 members of the public involved in that. We had 180 people sign up to organ donation. So when we're considering practical output from conferences, if somebody who needs a vital organ gets one because a conference took place, like what more can you possibly ask? Do you know, if somebody has a heart attack on the street and is revived by somebody who happened to be walking through Serenic Shopping Centre during a conference, like that is, it's the ultimate goal for all of us, I think. And I think it's, there's no more powerful message of what conferences can do to, to impact in our communities than an example like that. Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. Campbell, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you for all of your insights. Not at all. It's been a pleasure. And thank you all for listening. This brings our session to a close. We hope you've enjoyed it and will join us again next time when we'll be discussing nature. Thank you for attending today's session. See you soon.